Okay, I wanted to say two things before I got into the actual sermon. One, did you guys see how Michael flipped his phone into his pocket? I don't know if anybody else caught this, but he was holding it like this, and then he was like, and caught it, and then put it in his pocket. And it was the coolest thing I think I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> I was like, I would have dropped my phone, then I would have been embarrassed because I dropped my phone on the floor while I'm doing announcements. I just think you're so cool. I just, I just want other people sharing the coolness of that moment with me. So that was the first one, that Michael's phone flipping is cool. Um, the second thing is a little deeper and completely unrelated to this sermon. Um, and, and I am, am in different prayer environments, and I get to pray and worship a lot, and I appreciate that. And Steve uh, Rossi is also in some of those prayer environments. And so Steve has been leaning into the Lord as bridegroom. Like, he's been like, you are the bridegroom. I don't know if you've heard some of this in his, like, moments when he's speaking. But he's like, Lord, you're the bridegroom. I want to know you in that way. And then I've been leaning into the Lord as um, a father. I've been calling him Baba, Baba, Baba as I pray. Um, because Baba is father in Swahili. It's not deep. I heard it in a song, and I thought it was cool. So I picked it up. Um, but last night um, and yesterday, I started, like, I guess the Lord gave me the song Communion by Brandon Lake and um, Stephanie Gretzinger. And that song is about God as a friend. And then last night while I was sleeping, the Lord showed up in my dream as a friend. And I didn't recognize him. And then I did. Like, I was like, oh, my God, like, that's you. Like, this is so cool. Have you ever seen the Lord in your dreams? It's cool. It's weird. Cool, weird, both at the same time. And um, man, in that, I was talking to Caroline about it in the back, and I was like, Lord, I've been seeking you in one way, but you knew how to come to me, and you knew what I needed in this moment. And I've been asking for a father, but you knew I needed a friend. And so you came to me in that way. And in my dream, friend Jesus said, um, I can be with you everywhere. We can just go everywhere together. And I was like, okay, like, let's go. Um, and so that's the place that my heart is coming from, that like Jesus is my friend and he goes with me. But what I want you to take from that is that he knows what you need in this. and He knows how to come to you and what way to reach you. Even if you're praying in one way, he knows what to give to you. You know, so this that I'm going to preach is going to be more practical than usually I am. I'm pretty lofty as a person, but this is going to be more practical. Um, but he knows how to come to you and what you need in this. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get started. So um, we're continuing our story, our series in 1 Peter. We finished all the way through 1 Peter. We didn't um, preach through everything, though, so you guys might want to go back and look at some of those missed sections. They're really good. And look at some of the sections that other people have preached. They've been really good. Um, but we finished 1 Peter. And as you know, 1 Peter was Peter's first letter to the church in Asia Minor, which is um, modern-day Turkey. And he was writing to them because I think he kind of helped establish this church. And they were like Gentile believers, which is like non-Jewish believers. And they had experienced all this persecution. And his first letter was writing to them, acknowledging, hey, like, this is who you are. You guys have been invited into the family of God. You're his royal priesthood. You're holy like God. I've made you in humility, um, but also in glory. Like, the, that's pretty much the overview of... Um, First Peter, and telling them some ways to live in that, okay? 
Now we're moving into 2 Peter. So our scripture today is 2 Peter um, verses 3 through 10. Verses 1 and 2 are him just saying, I thank God for you. I'm Peter, the apostle, bless you. You know how all the apostles start their letters. Okay, Peter is an apostle. He starts his letter like that. And then verse 3 and 10 is all the meaty stuff. Um, So before we get into that, I'll give you a little more background. In between uh, chapter 1, or 1 Peter and 2 Peter, some things start going on. Peter knew like everybody was going through persecution in 1 Peter, but in 2 Peter, like he is about to die. This is his last letter to anybody that we have record of. He, he is martyred after this. So this is the end of his life, and he knows that. So he's writing this letter to these people from that perspective, like this is, might be my last time being able to address you guys, the church who I fathered and loved all these years. Let me say my final things to you. Um, as he's um, preparing to write this letter, Jude, you know, the book of Jude, Jude wrote his letter and his letter starts to circulate around the churches. And Jude's letter is talking about all the false teachers. Jude in his letter says, I wish I had been able to write to you about other things, but all these false teachers have popped up in the body of Christ and I want to warn you about those false teachers. And so he writes that letter, and the letter circulates, and Peter gets a hold of that letter and sees it. So that also influences what he writes in 2 Peter. Does that make sense so far? Okay. Um, So when we're reading that, those are the two things that are happening going into 2 Peter, okay? So let's read. Starting at verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Amen. That last part is the reason I didn't move this podium, because I didn't want to (laughs) stumble. All right. So that is a lot. And there, it's only 10 verses, but there's a lot said there. And old-time writers wrote with a lot of commas, not very many periods. So it's kind of hard to, like, follow as they chain all these clauses together. Um, so if you ever read the scripture and get stressed out by the amount of comma clauses, you are not alone. I am with you in that. So the way I was able to, like, make sense of what this is was to take it in chunks Um, piece by piece, and I found like there are like four camps that I want to like hide out in, and that's how I'm going to break down all these commas. The first one is you have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. We read this, I think, in the NIV, but the ESV says you have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
Um, I think if first Peter was, if Peter was a rapper, he would be a really good rapper because he has a lot of one-liners that you want to like live your life by. And this is one of them. You have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Um, as I was studying what this means, I was looking up this word life. Um, and the word in the Greek is zoe. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but I'm a southerner, so I can do what I want. It's zoe life. <laughs> and um, it means the very essence of life itself. Like I was thinking about vanilla, and I was like, is vanilla extract the essence of vanilla? But no, a vanilla bean is the essence of the vanilla. It's the, like, the purest, rawest form of vanilla you can get. Here, when he's saying, I've given you everything pertaining to life, he's saying, I've given you everything pertaining to the purest, rawest, most full form of life that you can have and godliness. And I was like, how do you, how do you be like God? Like, what is godliness for us? And this is the same thing Peter was saying earlier. This is holiness. This is reverence to God. This is a life that's lived in reverential um, identity and service towards God. So he's saying that on the cross and with his life, death, burial, resurrection, I have given you everything pertaining to the fullest essence of life and godly living on earth. And that's good to know because he's going to get into some moral things, some, some practical things about how to carry out this life. And if you hear that without hearing that he's given you everything to do that, you'll strive. And you'll just like want to figure out how to do this on your own. And then you won't be able to. Then you'll get frustrated. He just skipped all that and started with, I gave it to you so you could do it. All right. So that's the first thing I want us to think about, that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Um, let's keep going. The next camp, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. All right, so he's saying, because I gave you everything pertaining to the essence of life and all my promises that come with it, make every effort to supplement your faith. When I was reading through this part, I thought about um, the word supplement, and I always hear like vitamins and supplements, um, and then, I was like, okay, I don't really know very much about supplements, but I just became a plant mom. And when I made my plant, I think I have a picture of my plant son. This is my plant son, Travis. Um, when you're a millennial, you become a plant mom. If you are not, you just have a plant. You just get a plant. But if you are a millennial, get a plant, you say you became a plant mom. So I'm a plant mom. This is my plant son's Travis. And when we brought him home, I definitely thought he was going to die. And so I was like, I need to make sure that I know how to keep this thing alive because you're beautiful and I just don't want you to die. I tell him I love him all the time because I hope it helps him live. And when I bought him, we bought this bag of like a whole bunch of soil. And the soil had all these supplements in it to make sure that he would live. So if you're a plant and you're potted at my house, you need thing, you need soil that has supplements in it to make sure you have all the nutrients and things like that, right? So here, go back one slide. It says, make every effort to supplement your faith. In scripture, this is so cool. In scripture, um, faith is also is often referred to as a seed. Have y'all seen this? Like, um, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move. You can say to this mountain, "Be cast into the sea," and it will be moved. 
Or if you see the parts in scripture um, where it's, it's talking about faith being planted and having roots, like faith is often referred to as a seed. And I think I have a picture of um, an acorn up there. Yes. So this is going to be our seed in our mind. This is our seed of faith. Boom. It's our acorn. The Bible also calls us oaks of righteousness. It's real, real literal. Like he's so good at like these, I don't know, these literary things that he does. And this is an oak tree, a huge oak tree. So that little acorn grows into this giant oak tree. If you look at it from what the Bible's saying, our little mustard seed of faith grows us into oaks of righteousness. That's some of the stuff that he's highlighting in the scripture. So how do you get from being a, uh, having a little seed of faith to growing into an oak of righteousness? This is how you do it. You do it with your supplements. If you're a plant, you have the stuff in your soil. But if you're a person, it's the things that he names in the scripture. So I have them on the slide. Keep going. Right there. He says... Um, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. He is telling the church in Asia Minor um, that they have received an imperishable faith, but it's time for it to grow up into something. You can't stay um, just a seed your whole life. You're supposed to grow into an oak of righteousness. So grow up into that. And he's saying this is how you do it. Um, first, it says virtue, which is um, moral excellence, which was what the NIV said. When I was looking at that, I was confused because I was like, Lord, I feel like morality is so relative. Like in the South, morality looks different than in the North. Like if I go to... Um, I don't know, Cracker Barrel in the South, I should say thank you, ma'am, to my server, because that's just how it is. Here, people don't say ma'am. People are just like, thanks. And they take their food and they sit down because it's the North, and that's not how people do in the North. Um, and so I was like, Lord, how do, you, how do you rectify morality when there are subtle differences in different areas? Like, how do you do this? One, I don't have a full answer to this. But just like the Lord knew what I needed earlier, I believe that he will lead you and how to do morality. But a basic answer for that is the golden rule, which is actually in the Bible. Found that out this week. It's do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So with the leading of the Holy Spirit, you asked him, how do I add morality to my faith that I have? Not just believing in Jesus, but also living it out. This reminds me of Devante when he's um, in, a grocery, in a store and I'm shopping, I will put my stuff back on any rack. It's not good, but it's what I do. I'm so sorry. I just can't be bothered to walk all the way to the back. I don't walk all the way to the front with all this stuff. I'm not going back to the back. Devante will pick this thing up from the rack and walk it all the way to the back. He won't say anything to me. He'll just pick it up and take it back. And it makes me feel bad, like, oh, I should have took my stuff. Now I take my other stuff, and I'm putting it back with him because he's influenced me. For him, that is what it means to have moral character. That is integrity for him. That is honoring to the other people. Like, that's how his convictions um, from the Lord have just manifested themselves. That's not in the Bible. But that's the stuff the Holy Spirit will lead you to do in each moment. What does it look like for you to walk in moral excellence? He'll lead you in that. The next thing is knowledge. 
Um, this is real simple. Know something. Don't just believe in something that you haven't studied. Search it out. The Bible says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. And that's part of our responsibility as people who believe this thing, to know something. And if you don't, the spirit of wisdom and revelation will reveal it to you. So it's all right. He will help you know something. But we need to add to our faith a knowledge about who he is and about um, what he says, what he's doing, all of those things. And general knowledge. I think this word doesn't just mean biblical knowledge. It's also like general knowledge. Knowledge about culture. Don't live in Aliquippa and not know what's going on in Aliquippa. Don't live in your city, be planted in your city and not be aware of what's happening around you where God is sending you. Self-control. Ooh, okay. <laughs> if you follow Devontae on Facebook, you know that he likes to post random videos of me that I may or may not have agreed to being posted. And so <laughs> as I was studying this, um, I was working in the kitchen. I was like making breakfast in the kitchen one morning a couple days ago, and there was all these cookies, like fresh-baked homemade cookies that I had made sitting on the counter, and I was like, man, I could make breakfast or I could eat this cookie that I already made <laughs> sitting here. And um, I started to make this song up about I have self-control. I don't need a cookie for breakfast. Then I had to preach to myself, I don't need a cookie for breakfast. I have self-control. And he put that on Facebook. So if you saw that, that's where that came from. Me. All right, well, me having a, a need for self-control for cookies for breakfast, you know? And that's my real life. Like, it's day-to-day -day, um, needing the Lord to help me do these things. But it's also self-control in bigger areas. It's self-control in, in the moments when I'm having interactions with other people. And there are ways I could respond, but there's a way that's more morally excellent to respond. And I have been given the spirit of self-control so I can choose in this moment how I'm going to respond. Just like I can choose no cookie for breakfast. And I didn't eat that cookie. I made oatmeal. I had the cookie for lunch, though, but I made it through breakfast, and that was my goal. All right, next one. This is so practical. Like, it's not that deep. Um, steadfastness. This is my favorite characteristic about God, that he is steadfast. And this is the one I struggle with the, the most. In the last few weeks, the Lord has been, or I've been talking to the Lord about my lack of steadfastness. I, charisma energy, all those things come naturally to me. It's just part of how I was hardwired. Keeping a deadline, being on time, being on time consistently, I need the Spirit of God to help me do those things. And on the one hand, sometimes it doesn't have negative consequences, but sometimes it creates this unreliability where people who need to be able to eat from me can't because I'm not steadfast. I'm not consistent or reliable. This is what he's asking to, to add to our faith. Because as we lead people, like the Lord says that he, um, if you are faithful with the little, he'll, you'll, you'll be ruler over many. As we lead people and grow in our own faith, we will grow in influence. But if we're not steadfast, we will harm a lot of the things that we desire to build. If I don't water Travis, he's going to die. So I need to learn some steadfastness. And that's all Peter is saying here. Add to your faith steadfastness. Next, brotherly affection. Love your, love your brothers. Not only the ones who are in the body. This one is talking about the ones in the body, but also the ones that are just around you. 
consider them. Consider them more highly than you don't, than yourself. I intentionally try to follow people on Facebook who believe different things than I do, politically, religiously, in different ways, so I can learn how to love them more, how I can see them as a human and not as the people on the other side of my thing. Um, and so I can practice this, because I will want them to practice that with me. If I believe something different than you, I don't want you to come disrespect me for it. I want you to be kind to me for it. And I want to give the same thing. And the last one, most important, that's why it has four exclamation marks, is love. It's the spirit of God. He is love, but also it's what he commands us to do and what he empowers us to do. Okay, so simple, not that deep. Add to your faith all of these supplements. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and brotherly love and affection. Brotherly affection and love. What's after this? Great. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful. This part was so significant to me. Because remember when I told you that Jude's letter was circulating? Jude was saying there are all these false teachers coming up. Somebody else is going to preach this next week, so I'm not going to get all into their sermon. But what happened, what happened was... The people who were in the church had been hearing, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, he'll be back soon, so get your lives right or follow him or whatever. And then they didn't see him come, just like we haven't seen him return yet. They didn't see him. And so they began to teach, God has given you freedom, so do whatever you want. You can repent, so just live however you want to live. And they started being incredibly immoral in intimacy, they were immoral in their spending, they were immoral in their stealing, like they just did whatever they wanted to, they started to lead the church in the same way, starting to teach them immoral ways of being. But this says, if these qualities are yours, they're keeping you, they will keep you from um, becoming ineffective and unfruitful. He was directly throwing shade or highlighting those false prophets who took the gospel, the seed of faith they received, and had become ineffective and unfruitful. Let me give you a biblical example of this. Are you guys familiar with the story of Jesus and the fig tree? Yeah, I see some nods. All right, cool. So Jesus is hungry one day, and he's walking, and he sees a fig tree, and the fig tree has all these leaves on it. And I Googled it. Fig trees grow fruit first, and then they grow leaves. So if you see leaves, that means that there's already been fruit on the tree. You should probably be able to, like, pick some off of it, even though it's late in the season. So Jesus, hungry Jesus, is standing here, and he sees this fig tree from far off, and it has these leaves on it, lots of leaves. And so he goes over to the fig tree, and there's no figs on the tree but it's flashing all these leaves. And so he curses the fig tree, and the fig tree dies next time they come and see it. And I wonder to myself, why would you do that? Why would you curse this fig tree for not having figs? Like, next year it'll have some. Just wait. Like, be patient. You'll be fine. But no, he cursed this fig tree for many reasons, but one of them is the deception. The tree is showing its leaves like, hey, I got fruit. You're hungry. I got you. Come and eat from me. And Jesus comes to eat. This is my impression of a leaf. So <laughs> that's why I keep doing this. I imagine leaves just like wave at you like this. Um, and so he's like, hey, come and eat from me. I have these, these fruits. And you come and there are no fruits. This is the same thing that he's warning the people against in this text. The people who had received the seed of faith 
are trees that aren't producing any fruit or any fruit that would be healthy for anyone to eat and grow up and live. But they're still saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And you go and you find nothing. You find deception. And he's warning these new believers against a life like that. A life where you would say, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I, I love him. And people come and there's nothing to eat from from you. There's no fruit. There's no ability to reproduce Christ in the earth in you. He's warning them against that because if they don't uh, allow those characteristics to be rooted in their lives, they will become like these trees, like these false prophets who are saying, I believe in a Jesus, but my life has no fruit. And so he's just warning them like a good dad would. Be careful of this. Um, I saw this really cool picture. I think it's the next one. Can y'all see it? This is a tree um, that's on the beach and all of the sand wiped, like washed from under the tree. And the tree is still standing because its roots are like crazy deep. And so it's just standing up on its roots. And this is not deep, but I just thought, like, I feel like this is what he wants us to be. The end of this verse is saying um, that you won't stumble if you allow these things to take root and grow up in your life. I would say what we're living in is very much like the sand. We have no idea what's happening from day to day, from week to week, changes all the time. And if this isn't us, we will fall over. We will not be able to stand through this. But I think he wants us to grow up as like oaks of righteousness and be able to have some depth, be able to have roots that will sustain us, not just growing tall and wide, but also growing deep. So when the sediment starts to move, we don't go anywhere. We're still stable. We're still grounded. And the ground is the Lord. Like he gave us the seed, but he's also like the sun that's bringing all the nutrients. He's also the one like putting those things in us and making this happen, we just have to continue to say yes to this work that he's doing. And so I think, um, this is my next one's my last slide. I think he's saying to us, grow up steady. As a body, we have had lots of high moments with Jesus together. Moments where we've seen him in worship, moments where we've met him and we're just like, yes, I love this. I wanna give my whole life to you right now. That's, that's what we've had as a body. But I think he's calling us as a body to grow some roots, to add to this faith that we believe some morality, to add some self-control, to add some, stealth, some steadfastness, some consistency. Not to give you another set of rules, but so you'll be like that tree, not blown by every wind and doctrine, but steady, growing up as an oak of righteousness. And so practically, I can't tell you which one of those or many of those the Lord is building in you, but just like he knew how to come to me as a friend, I believe he'll begin to highlight where he wants to grow you up some. I see you doing great um, in brotherly affection. Let's add some more knowledge. We're actually having Bible studies coming up um, Sunday night, maybe that's what he's saying to you to come to. Let's add some more knowledge to your faith. I know your family has handled arguments and conflict in this way your whole life, but I'm teaching you self-control. Let's, let's learn that together. So I don't know what they are, um, and I don't know who's closing. Who's closing this? Okay. Um, 
But I, I pray that would be one of the things that you consider. Like, what is the Lord saying so that you can have deep roots? I love what Michael said in his exhortation that the Lord is faithful um, to thousands of generations. And that's what the Bible says. That tree that we saw, the giant oak, is providing shade, food, life for all kinds of wildlife. For us, not only us, but our children and our children's children can eat from the faithfulness that God produces in us. Our city, but the cities surrounding our city, but the states surrounding our cities, but the states surrounding our state can eat from the faithfulness that God is producing in us, you know? So he's just calling us to grow some roots and get a little deeper in this thing. So that's all. That's pretty much all I had to say. Nothing deep today. <laughs>